file to come up, but uh, I had a really cool graphic to go along with that song, but uh, we're missing it right now, but he'll, he'll get that up in just a second, but today uh, we're calling the sermon Old School, as you can tell by that song, right? <clears throat> and um, by the way, my name is Joe Davis, I'm the lead teaching pastor here in the garden, and we're doing this lectionary series that takes Old Testament passages and compares them to the book of Mark, and today we happen to be focusing on the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments, but what I decided to do this week is kind of take and focus on just a couple of commandments. So I'm going to start today, and once they get the slideshow up and running, you'll see, but I'm going to start by reading Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. And here's what it says. And all these words I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. So basically, I want to explain to you what happened there in Deuteronomy. What he's talking about is the law of Moses. The law of Moses was the Ten Commandments. You guys know them very well, and all of you are very good at all of them, aren't you? You don't struggle with any of them. Right? Right? Of course not. Um, so um, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage because the slideshow isn't up yet, but I had a cartoon that I was going to show you that showed these two guys sitting in front of the Ten Commandments. One was Moses and one was Aaron. And uh, Moses, uh, Moses is saying, I'm only good with about two of these. How about you? And that's kind of where we're looking at the law, right? So that's the kind of concept. So as we always do in the garden, we like to break down the passage into three different ways, right? We like to look at the historical application. What about man? What did he do? Why did he do it? Theological, what about God? What did he do? Why did he do it? And then we have the devotional application. What about me? What do I do? And why do I do it? <clears throat> so with that in mind, let's get started with the historical part of this passage. Why was there even a need for the Ten Commandments? Why? Well, see, there's my, there's my cartoon. So I can go backwards too, right? Okay, there's Deuteronomy 6. I just wanted to show you guys that picture. Hold on. I just wanted to show you guys that picture. Isn't that picture cool? <laughs> see, can you see how much cooler it would have been to have that song playing with that picture up there? Right? You like the old school. All right. So, and there's the, there's the uh, I'm assuming the one on the left is Aaron, and the one with the beard is Moses. So, all right. So, what is the historical purpose of the Ten Commandments? Why was the law given? The first thing you want to understand, here's what happened, right? The law was given so that we would be aware of God's standard of perfection. See, as God is dealing with man, something is very clear with us. We're not very spiritual by nature. 
As a matter of fact, we're very unspiritual when we're left to our own devices. So the first thing we have to understand is how far away we are from being what God requires for us to be. We're so far away. There's a big disconnect. The second reason for the Ten Commandments, it was to be a temporary focus for God's people. And that's the passage you read in Deuteronomy 6. He says, take this word, put it on your hearts, put it written under, behind your eyelids and talk about it with your kids and talk about it with your neighbors when you're walking down the street. Write them on the doorposts of your house and your gates. Don't ever forget, everything you do is to be focused on this law at this time. Another reason that with the Ten Commandments were given to men is to provide condemnation that teaches us that we need grace. So what the law does is the law makes it very clear that you suck. The law makes it very clear that you have no chance of measuring up to the standard necessary for salvation. I mean, the law takes no prisoners. The law does not discriminate. The law is not racial. The law does not care about social economic backgrounds. The law does not care about creed or color or region that you're born in. The law doesn't care about your last name. The law condemns all of us, and it teaches us how desperately we need grace. So that's the concept that we have the law. And then something happened with man. Man didn't just take the law and focus on it. Man began to build fences around the Torah, Torah being the word, another word for the law. And I explained this to you guys in the past. What would happen is man would become so obsessed with the law that he would begin to put safeguards in his life, if you were a Jewish person, to make sure you never even got close to breaking the law, which of course was silly because we broke it anyway. But like, for example, one of them, I've explained this to you in the past, you shall not boil a goat in its mother's milk. That was one of the Levitical laws, the, 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 the laws. And so what they decided was, we don't want to even come close to that. So what we're going to do is we'll say, never should there be milk and meat on the table at the same time. That way we'll never even come close to boiling a goat in its mother's milk. That's an example of fences around the law. And basically what happened is the law became what man worshipped. The law became the focus of what we thought it meant to be close to God, when in reality, Paul teaches us, and we'll find this out later, that the law was simply pointing us to how much we needed God. So that's the historical aspect of the law, why it was given, because we needed to be taught that we were sinners, and what began to happen is the law was revered and put before people and before God actually sometimes so let's look at the the theological aspect the law was old school but Jesus is new school look at this passage in Deuteronomy 5 12 to 14 this is one of the uh, passages about the law observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you six days you shall labor and do all your work but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God on it you shall not do any work, you or your sons or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the, or the traveler who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well 
as you. This is the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, one of the commandments. Now, there's a lot of teaching about the Sabbath out there. Some of it is very confusing. Some of it is discouraging. Some of it, it seems like it wouldn't fit in today's world. Some of you have to work on Sunday just to pay your bills. I mean, I recognize that. So are you in sin? I mean, are you falling short? I mean, well, yes, of course you're falling short, but, but how bad are we when it comes to the Sabbath, and what's the point? I love what Jesus says in Mark. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. They were hungry on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You're working. Clearly in Deuteronomy, it says you're not supposed to work in the fields. And Jesus says to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And those who were with him? How he entered into the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but for the priest to eat? In other words, remember what David did? He broke the law and also gave it to those who were with him. And Jesus says to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. This is a very troubling passage if you're a Sabbatarian, somebody who believes that the Sabbath is still, the Old Testament principle still should be kept. Because Jesus says, look, there are certain situations where the Sabbath is to take a backseat to man. Was the Sabbath made for man or was man made for the Sabbath? What is to be worshipped here? Man was made to worship God, not the law. So this is an interesting passage, right? So let's look at Paul's explanation. I love what he says here. I call this graduation. I'll explain what I mean in a minute. Galatians chapter 3, 23 to 26. Look what Paul says about the law. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned to the coming faith, uh, until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus we are all sons of God through faith. Let me explain what Paul is saying about the law here. Basically, basically what he's saying is the law took us to school. He says the law was a tutor bringing us to faith. I'm going to throw you a little Greek lesson here today. Pedagogos. That's what that Greek word right there you see, and I put it in the English transliteration so you can look at it. That's the word guardian. Pedagogos. Now that's a very interesting word about this, this idea of this word pedagogos or guardian. You know what it was in the Roman culture? It was a boy's guardian or tour. I'm just going to read to you the definition. It was a slave who had charge of the life and the moral compass of the boys in a family once a child turned six years old. He wasn't necessarily a teacher, but he was like a school and moral nanny. 
a nanny who watched over the child and ensured that he made it to and from school each day. He was the child's main disciplinarian. He corrected bad manners. He helped the child learn proper etiquette. He might even discipline the child very harshly with canings or whippings. That's what mine would have had to do. Or sometimes he might correct them with tenderness. Some children hated their pedagogos, their tutor. Couldn't stand them. Others loved their tutor for life. Paul says the law is like a pedagogos or a tutor. Not a permanent guardian, not a permanent road to God, but a temporary tutor that takes us from one point and then drops us off at the bus stop of grace. What did the pedagogos teach us? The law. It's very interesting, right? Now, who is Paul writing to? Paul is writing to Gentiles who became Christians. Remember, we went through the book of Galatians this summer, and what was the problem? There were Jewish people coming back and saying to the Gentiles, you better follow the law. You better keep the Sabbath. You better be circumcised. You better not eat milk and meat. You better do all these other things. And Paul's saying, let me explain to you what the law really was. The law was a temporary vessel that God used to reveal our depravity, to show our need for grace, and to teach us how far off we really were, and it temporarily had mastery over us. It had complete control. Paul says we were enslaved by it until faith came, which is what, by the way? Faith is what? It's a gift. And so what would happen is, Jewish people would look for salvation in Christ Jesus because they understood that even God's chosen people could not keep the law. I could talk, I'm going to promise you this. I don't care how good they were at it. No Jewish man ever kept the Sabbath. None. No Jewish man ever kept the Sabbath. Oh, they tried. But they screwed up a lot. And what a real person was given, that was given the gift of faith, a Jewish person would recognize is this law is impossible. Now, Gentiles looked to the one God that was sent for their salvation because they saw in the same respect as the Jews would turn away from the law to grace, they would recognize, boy, the law is impossible for us as well. And so we, too, can join together with God's people through Jesus. This process, by the way, guys, continues today for both Jews and Gentiles as the Father adopts all those who trust Jesus Christ and the cross. Old Testament believers who followed the law looked forward to God's promise, looked forward to the Messiah, but they never experienced the true joy and fulfillment of that promise. I love what John Calvin says. John Calvin has a great way of putting this. He says, The old covenant saints started out their journey under the very first crack of dawn, but we in the new covenant start out under the bright noonday sun. 
So the Old Testament saints were here, and they could see a glimpse of what the future would be like when they were no longer captive and enslaved and prisoners by the law, and they saw that there was hope, a ray of sunshine, a possible hope at the end of the storm of the law that could bring us grace. But when we become children of God, we are immediately thrown into the sunlight. And we experience the full blessing of grace. See, the law now, even though at first what the law did was condemn us, now it is powerless to condemn you. Did you know that? And the law is no longer, according to you know, Deuteronomy 6, we said that, make this the focus of your hearts. The law is no longer the focus of our hearts. The Lord of the law is now our focus. Jesus said, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ. And according to Paul, Christians who go back to a life defined by the Mosaic law are like adults who go back to childhood. That's what he says. So what is the devotional aspect of this? This is my favorite teacher. Marlene Larson is her name. She was my English teacher in high school. And she was tough, and I was scared to death of her. You know what's amazing? Nobody ever talked in her class. She never had to threaten anyone because we knew she meant business. I love her. To this day, I remember everything she taught me. She's the reason I speak so good. Just kidding. Well, I did like that. I mean, she was great, right? But we were all afraid of her. She had lots of power over me when I was in school. She didn't abuse it, and she used it for my benefit, but nevertheless, we feared it. A few months ago, she was going through some health problems. She lives in Tampa. By the way, her husband was my principal, so they were a pretty potent team. I visited her a few months ago in Tampa with a couple of friends when she was recovering from some medical issues, and you know what? It was a completely different relationship than it was when I was in high school. I walked into the room and I saw her and she was, you know, I was, I'm, not, I'm not just saying this, it's true. She'll, if, she was going to come today, but she couldn't come because she wasn't feeling well. And she was going to be here, you guys could have met her. I was her favorite student. <laughs> I really was, I promise, I promise. She, she loved me. Um, <clears throat> thousands of students, but I was the favorite. You know. But you know what the relationship was like when I visited her? Respect. Affection admiration, nostalgia, love, and I cherish her. I mean, we were, we're, we're still very close. You can go on my Facebook page, you can see she likes all my pictures. <laughs> it's a true story. I learned so much about writing and speaking and grammar all through high school, when everybody else was struggling with English and stuff like that, and writing and essays, I would kill it. Because she taught me, and I didn't forget. But she didn't have any more power over me, like she did when I was in high school. You know why? Because I'm full grown. She can't pass or fail me anymore. See, 
To think that Jesus is not sufficient enough for the Christian life is to return to the age of immaturity. It'd be like saying, Mrs. Larson, I have to go back to your English class. The English class was great. And I have made much affection for the class. And I love what I learned in the class. But you know what? I don't need the class anymore. It's not that our old tutor, the law, our old teacher is irrelevant to us. Just as the adult does not forget the manners he learned from his pedagogos. To borrow an illustration that I heard from a pastor, we don't throw away a $5 bill because we have been given a 20 We keep both. And so we don't forget about the law that taught us how to live, that adultery is wrong, that lying is wrong, that stealing is wrong. You shouldn't covet your neighbor's goods or his wife or you know the Sabbath. We don't forget about all the stuff that we were taught about how to live because there's benefit to those things. What is wise and what is unhealthy. And, and, but it's unfaithful to obsess over the law when connection to Heavenly Dad has been provided through New School, through Christ. And then there's the substitute teachers. We're really good at this, isn't it? Oh, I, don't, I, I understand that we're over the law. But do you know what we as Christians do? We do these fake laws that we create, like traditions and sacred cows and churches. And we obsess with liturgy and sanctuaries and instruments. And we obsess, like for example, when you pray, you have to close your eyes, fold your hands. If you really want to pray, you're on your knees. I don't care how much it hurts. Revering holy ground like certain things, you know, but like this, this area here is not sacred. It's a building that doesn't get air conditioned very well, is what it is. It's all it is. Anything that becomes more important than God's people around you, it's like faith on training wheels, and you're just a baby. These things aren't wrong on their own, a sanctuary and the instruments and praying with your eyes closed and on your knees and hands folded. There's nothing wrong with those things. As a matter of fact, they can be very good. But I'm telling you right now, they aren't spiritual. They aren't magical. They aren't sanctified or special. That sanctuary in this building is no more special than the front seat of your car. They don't get you closer to God. You know how I know that? Because the Scripture says no man comes to the Father except through a praise band. Oh, wait, does he say that? No man comes to the Father except through an organ. Oh, wait a minute. No man comes to the Father except a big, beautiful sanctuary with stained glass. Does he say that? He says no man comes to the Father except through me. See, when you start making your own substitute teachers, that's just like going back to your tutor, your pedagogos, the law. I got a quote for you from John Piper. I love John Piper. He's great. So many Christians settle for Christianity that just tells them what to do. But what God wants to do is thrill us day after day with himself. You see the difference? Boy, it's a lot easier if we just have a list of rules and do's and don'ts, right? That's not Christianity. Christianity is God revealing more and more about himself to us day after day 
after day. Not to the point that we despise the law. We don't despise the law. We love our old teachers. They taught us so much. I love Marlene Larson. I love her. I would do anything for her and her husband. She's fantastic. If she called me this afternoon and said, Joe, will you come visit me? I'm struggling. I would go. There's affection for what she taught me. But she has no power over me anymore. I'm about to share a closing thought that may leave a very bad taste in some of your mouths. Like a cup of racetrack coffee. (laughs) And as you leave, I ask that you think about it in the light of what we learned from Paul's passage today about the law. Okay? Religion is for those that need more schooling on Jesus and grace. That's what religion is. Religion is for those who need training wheels about what grace and faith really is. The law is good, but in Jesus, it has no power over you.